This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Now, Mr. Stepien uh, has been in the campaign field for a long time, and he worked for lots of different candidates and campaigns. He testified to this committee about his concerns, given the claims that Mr. Giuliani and Ms. Powell and their team were making uh, publicly. Let's play clip 15. Okay, and was it important for you, Mr. Stempian, to sort of pull back just for your own professional reputation? You didn't want to be associated with some of what you were hearing from the Giuliani team and others that, that sort of stepped in in the wake of your departure? Uh, I didn't mind being categorized. There were two groups of them. We called them kind of my team and Rudy's team. I, I didn't mind being characterized as being part of Team Normal. There were teams, Team Normal, and then the rest of them. Seriously, if the January 6th hearings prove anything, it's that Trump will always make the stupidest choices, side with the most insane characters, spouting the worst and most dangerous plans if he thinks it will somehow benefit him, or help him overthrow the government to win an election, or at the very least, make him a shit ton of money if he loses. And the January 6th committee revealed earlier this week that Trump got at least some of the things on his evil wish list when he was able to raise millions of dollars defending the big lie. Millions that can't be accounted for because it went directly into his pocket. Are you surprised? Between election day and January 6th, the Trump campaign sent millions of fundraising emails to Trump supporters, sometimes as many as 25 a day. The emails claimed the quote, left-wing mob was undermining the election, implored supporters to, quote, step up to protect the integrity of the election, and encouraged them to, quote, fight back. But as the select committee has demonstrated, the Trump campaign knew these claims of voter fraud were false, yet they continued to barrage small-dollar donors with emails, encouraging them to donate to something called the Official Election Defense Fund. The select committee discovered no such fund existed, I don't believe there is actually a fund called the Election Defense Fund. Is it fair to say that the Election Defense Fund was another, is it, I think we called it a marketing tactic? Yes. And tell us about these funds as marketing tactics. Uh, just a topic matter uh, where money could potentially go to be, how money could potentially be used. The claims that the election was stolen were so successful President Trump and his allies raised $250 million. The witnesses that the committee has presented so far have all been senior Republican officials and members of Trump's inner circle. So basically, friends and family, which completely undercuts the idea that the committee is somehow conducting a partisan witch hunt. It's structured, in fact, like a good TV production where they're keeping their hearings within about a two-hour block and they're intently focused on getting at the facts most of the members of the committee, they're not even talking. And the focus is really on the witnesses. And most of the witnesses are from the Trump administration themselves. So they can't be accused of partisan bias, which, of course, has been the Republican attack line from the beginning. But they are essentially indicting Trump before the court of public opinion using the testimony of his own aides. It's a very effective mechanism. And I think it is breaking through and making people sit up and take notice that this is an important issue. The committee behaving like actual adults and not wackadoo conspiracists 
has presented sound evidence that totally flips the script on radical Republicans pretending that there was ever any truth to the big lie. And that evidence has made it clear that just about everyone in the GOP knew Trump had lost and went along with him anyway. Now I'm going to give you the best free legal advice you're ever getting in your life. Get a great effing criminal defense lawyer. You're going to need it. And then I hung up on him. If that's not something to run on in November, I don't know what is. It also appears, by ratings alone, that the message is sinking in with the American public. And it can't happen soon enough, because there is trouble on the primary trail. But quick, Barry Ludemilk's sidebar. Nothing. There's nothing there. But can you explain who you were giving a tour to that day? Well, it was a, a family and some guests of folks that they brought from Georgia. Do you know who that man was? In the video? I, I don't know him. I've never met him before. But he was on that tour with you. I don't know. I never saw the guy on the video. But my understanding is the guy taking the video is what they're saying. Right. That's my understanding. Right. Too. So I, I don't even see him on there. So I, I don't know. Was I'm voice? assuming that they say it's him. You may remember that lying GOP asshole from Georgia who supposedly took a nice tourist family for a harmless visit around the Capitol building the day before the insurrection. They took pictures of hallways and security checkpoints, like you do, and then guess what? We're coming in like white on rice for Pelosi, Nadler, Schumer, even you, AOC. We're coming to take you out. At least one of those nice tourists was caught on camera on the 6th in the video newly released by the committee saying shit like, and I quote, we're coming to take you out and pull you out by your hairs. Apparently referring to Nancy Pelosi and when I get done with you, you're going to need a shine on top of that bald head. The footage goes on to show the guy whipping around a flagpole with a sharpened end, looking into the camera like a madman saying, that's for somebody special. John, I think maybe each one of these individual pieces of evidence by itself may not be all that suspicious, but when you combine them all together, it is what has raised the concern of the January 6th Select Committee. And one of the reasons that they have repeatedly asked Congressman Barry Loudermilk to come before their panel and answer questions about what he knew about this group that he led on a tour on January 5th. Now, Loudermilk has repeatedly said uh, that this was a completely innocent tour. This was a group of constituents that were in town meeting with their member of Congress uh, and that they weren't there for what some Democratic members of Congress have des described as a reconnaissance tour. But look what's happened to the country. No, to the world in the wake of the big lie. A series of sort of unbelievable political beatdowns that has democracy on the ropes. In recent days, Putin's war on Ukraine has seen some of the bloodiest, most brutal battles ever fought in European history. And it looks like for the first time since the war began that the power is shifting in the Russians' favor. Putin's most vocal opposition, Alex Navalny, has been moved to some strange and distant maximum security prison, cutting him off from his lawyers and followers who still consider him the leader of the opposition. And then there's WNBA star Brittany Griner. She's still being held in a Russian prison with her detention being extended at least until July. Former Russian ambassador Michael McFaul told NBC that he's hopeful that a deal is in the works to trade her for a political prisoner or maybe a member of the Russian mob. Not good options for the Biden administration, I'll tell you that.
But don't expect much good coming out of Russia at this present moment. So let's keep our fingers crossed for Ms. Griner. During some of the darkest days of World War II, American philosopher Reinhold Niebuhr wrote the following. Man's capacity for justice makes democracy possible. But man's inclination to injustice makes democracy necessary. Dictator wannabe President Jair Bolsonaro of Brazil is running the Trump playbook and calling the election process in his country rigged simply because he's been consistently trailing in the polls. Difference being, Bolsonaro, a former army captain who filled his cabinet with military brass, has now got the military to back his bogus claims. So what if other politicians, judges, foreign diplomats, and journalists are crying foul? Bolsonaro has already said, if necessary, we will go to war. Elections are in October, but it sure smells like a slow rolling coup from here. And the sort of thing that probably would not have happened in Brazil if it hadn't almost happened here in the United States. Trump may be getting his ass handed to him by the committee, but this week's elections in South Carolina are the perfect example of just how far Trump will go to burn his so-called enemies. For years he talked conservative at home, but as soon as he got back to Washington and crawled in with the swamp, he sided with Nancy Pelosi. And when the stakes were highest, when called upon to make the most consequential vote that any Congress can make, whether to impeach a president or not, Tom Rice voted to impeach President Donald Trump. State Representative and MAGA asshat Russell Fry was endorsed by Trump because his opponent, incumbent Tom Rice, was one of the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump over the January 6th debacle. So Trump campaigned hard for Fry, and he won, but not by a landslide as predicted, only by about 51%. And in another South Carolina race, Nancy Mace, who also found herself on the wrong side of Trump, also because she criticized him for the January 6th insurrection, won her primary challenge soundedly beating Trump-endorsed Katie Arrington. May saying to reporters after her win that she'll work with anyone who is willing to work with her, wink wink, and she's talking to you, Trump. But as voters in Maine, North Dakota, and Nevada also headed to the polls for Tuesday's primaries, several more races showed that the power of the former president's almighty endorsement hasn't really faded much. In Nevada, a state that already shaping up to be one of the biggest battlegrounds in November, the Nevada campaign chair for Trump, and needless to say, Trump endorsed Adam Laxall, will face off against perhaps the most vulnerable Democrat in the country, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Thank you to everyone who is here tonight to stand up for women. Listen, six years ago, I was running for the Senate for the first time campaigning all across Nevada. At that point, there had never been a woman elected to the Senate from my home state. And there had never been a Latina elected to the United States Senate. Another Trump-endorsed candidate in Nevada, election denier and Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo, will run against Governor Steve Sisolak, the far right. 
Lombardo accuses the Democratic governor of hurting business during the pandemic with mask mandates and occupancy caps on hotels, despite the fact that infection rates were cut dramatically. I mean, God forbid you bring down the death rate in your state if somebody is losing money. Neither Sisolak or Cortez Masto face serious primary challenges, but unless Biden's poll numbers turn around, they could be headed for real trouble in November. I wanted to take the time to introduce you to Jim Marchant. Jim Marchant is running to be Nevada Secretary of State. So Jim Marchant is a patriot who will never stop fighting for the people of Nevada. Jim will fight against voter fraud with voter ID, paper ballots, and full election audits. Jim is a winner. He's incredible. Endorsed by conservative warriors like Mark Meadows, Andy Biggs, Paul Gosar, and Adam Laxalt, Jim is a constitutional conservative and businessman. It'll be a lot easier with Jim because he's a warrior. But maybe the linchpin in Nevada is another election denier and far-right nutjob, the Republican primary winner for Secretary of State, Jim Marchant, who ran on the pretense that if he'd been Secretary of State in 2020, he would not have certified the election for Biden. I mean, fucking stupid, but dangerous, because apparently there are Republican voters who are wooed by relitigation of the 2020 election and the possibility that some asshole in the position of Secretary of State can possibly overturn the next one. A real battle for democracy is also brewing in New Mexico, having something to do with the My Pillow guy, Dominion voting machines, and a beleaguered Secretary of State who is suing a county commission over their refusal to certify the results from their June 7th primary. The state secretary, a Democrat, said in a statement Tuesday that the Otero County Commission, comprised of three Republicans, I mean, one who is the creator of Cowboys for Trump, is appeasing unfounded conspiracy theories and will potentially nullify the votes of every Otero County voter who participated in the primary. With no evidence of fraud, just pure gut instinct, one commissioner opined, I have huge concerns with the voting machines. I do not trust them. In yet another example of weird Republican officials questioning the validity of election results, New Mexico will send this absurd case to court. But what the fuck? Any kind of shared reality in Otero County seems to have gone out the window. It's like a cancer. It's spreading. And not to be overlooked anywhere is the real swing towards the right that Hispanic voters seem to be embracing. The special election in Texas was won by Latina conservative Republican Mayra Flores. Flores will be the first known Mexican board member of Congress, which is great. I mean, congratulations. But it's as alarming as hell in the wake of Uvalde that Texans are voting MAGA. This district that Myra Flores won last night, Barack Obama got more than 60% of the vote here when he last ran in 2012. Hillary Clinton won this district by 22 points. It's shifted that dramatically. This, by the way, is the second most heavily Hispanic congressional district in the United States. I think this result we got from Texas 34 last night definitely underscores the Hispanic vote could be up for grabs this fall in ways we haven't seen in a long time. Democrats need to know that Hispanics aren't just any one thing. They come from many different countries, diverse backgrounds, but religion plays a huge role in most Latin communities. About half of American Latinos and Hispanics identify as Catholic, but an increasing number are embracing the evangelicals. 
one popular Hispanic evangelical leader, Pastor Frank Lopez, who has two mega churches in Miami, serves up red meat, culture war rhetoric to his congregation that sounds a whole lot like white supremacy. I mean, to quote Lopez, the new left promotes abortion as a way of killing off the poor. It seeks economic chaos. And the only people who will benefit are universities, journalists, feminists, and globalist organizations. So right off the entire Hispanic voting block is Latinx, and you will pay for it in votes. P.S. It's time to tax the churches. Christianity, nobody has done more for religion of all type than me. And they're really doing things now to, and I've always said it, they are against organized religion, they're against Christianity. One possible way to appeal to Hispanic voters would be to turn DACA into law. It's been 10 years since Obama created the DACA program. I mean, Trump tried, but failed to phase the program out. Now, it's past time that a bipartisan group of senators take up the DACA challenge in the same way they've recently taken up safe gun legislation. On whether or not the Biden administration unlawfully terminated Trump's policy to keep migrants and asylum seekers in Mexico with what is formally known as the Migrant Protection Protocol. Executive Director at the National Immigration Law Center, Marielena Incapi, joins me now live for more on this. Thank you so much, Marielena, for being here. Justices are currently deciding the legality of the repeal of the Trump-era policy, which was created to send unauthorized immigrants, including asylum seekers, back to Mexico while their cases uh, were being processed in an immigration court. President Biden tried to end that remain in Mexico policy last year, but it was reinstated. What decision are you hoping for? Yes, thank you for the invitation, Stephanie. So um, as you mentioned, as we are celebrating the 10th year anniversary of DACA today, we are very um, anxiously also awaiting a number of decisions from this Supreme Court. DACA was added into Build Back Better, which looks to be all but dead now. So we need to find another way to provide a path forward for these kids who are American citizens in every way. But the paper to prove it, don't complain that labor shortages are contributing to inflation and then deny the need for smart immigration legislation. And then they don't tell me that these dreamers don't deserve their rightful place at the American table. It may be too late to make DACA a priority before November, but it shouldn't be forgotten on the campaign trail either. That, along with save the democracy, create safe gun laws, and protect reproductive rights. I mean, just keep saying it over and over and over again. And now for the main event. This week, we welcome back as our guest Amaya Culpa, the Micellus brothers, Ben, Brett, and Jordy, creators of Midas Touch, the pro-democracy next generation super PAC, founded during the pandemic with the primary goals of protecting American democracy, defeating Trumpism, and holding Republicans accountable. Since its inception, Midas Touch has built a virtual Twitter army, amassing millions of followers. They have influenced political races all over the country and have become famous for their hard-hitting political ads. They created and host their critically acclaimed Midas Touch podcast that provides commentary and tries to make sense of the insane news cycle. 
and their platform also supports political commentary from an array of analysts and publishers, including The Hill Reporter. Check out all their projects on MidasTouch.com and explore ways you can get involved with their movement. The brothers as individuals are Ben, a lawyer focusing primarily on civil rights law and most notably represented Colin Kaepernick in his lawsuit against the NFL. Brett, a two-time Emmy winner and digital media strategist. And then there's Jordy, a marketing whiz working with some of the country's top brands including HBO and AT&T. And if you haven't yet, check out Arrest Trump Now and all their latest ads and maybe donate to their multiple projects while you're at it. Interested in hearing this one? You should be. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so I got the Micellus brothers here. I got Ben, I got Brett, and I got young Jordy. And guys, I got some questions for you here because there's a lot of shit going on in America right now. And who better to talk, right? I mean, we're all shaking our head. Who better to talk to than you guys? Now, Midas Touch tweeted out about Peter Navarro's meltdown yesterday on MSNBC. Um, last week, he gets a grand jury subpoena, and now he's threatening his enemies. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, and, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci. I mean, for example, who is he actually talking to? Are the Republicans melting down? I mean, look, look at Don Jr., right? Poor fucking kid. On Twitter, making a complete fucking fool of himself. I'd like to ask you guys, what's happening here? Do you think that they're worried about the January 6th hearings? Or is it something deeper than that? Why don't we start with the eldest? Let's go, Ben. Well, I think it is something deeper than that because remember the january 6th committee they have investigative powers they can prepare a report but ultimately the january 6th committee is not the doj but trust me the doj is watching these hearings very 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 closely so in terms of what is deeper that they're concerned about they are concerned about criminal prosecution. They know exactly what is going to be showcased at these January 6th hearings. And if what we're being told is accurate from people like member, Congress member Jamie Raskin and others, like this is going to be shocking. And you would think that the information that we've heard is shocking and people like Jamie Raskin um, and people like Eric Swalwell and people like that, they don't really mince words. You know, they don't exaggerate these things. So when they say that the iceberg is coming, I trust them that the iceberg is absolutely coming. And so I think that we are going to see things that we could hardly, hardly, hardly imagine. And the deeper thing they're worried about, you know, it's kind of like what happened when, you know, with Ukraine and Russia, where despite the best efforts of all of the Russia cronies trying to sway public opinion and try to push that pro-Russian agenda, there was a tsunami of just kind of truth and support internationally for democracy. And I think there's going to be a media groundswell similar to that, which is going to take place here as all of these individuals are caught, as the millennials like to say on 4D, literally caught on video, caught on TV, caught with their own words. And, you know, people like Raskin, people like Benny Thompson, they're just going to press play. 
And you're going to hear some of the most shocking, shocking stuff. Finally, when you say, you know, what is Peter Navarro talking about or who's he talking to? He should not be talking at all, period. Yeah, that's that's one of the next that's one of the next topics that we're going to jump onto. But I really do want to actually hear from from Brett onto it also. I mean, take a look at Don Jr. Do you see some of these these YouTube or Instagram or social media skits that this kid is doing? Look, I had a very close relationship of all the kids. I was closest with Don and watching him on these social media platforms, make a complete asshole out of himself. Like he just knocked down an eight ball of cocaine. His eyes are all squinty. He looks completely fucked up and it breaks my heart. It really does. I look as much as I despise Trump and, and I don't agree with virtually anything that comes out of the man's mouth. That doesn't mean I want to see the kids fall, too. And if they fall, they should fall for illegal acts that, like me, they ended up getting prosecuted for and so on. But not from drugs and so on. But he really looks like he's strung out. And he's just saying the craziest shit. Yeah, in a way, I think uh, it's very clear that there are a lot of underlying issues there and that he's going through something. But as far as the content that he's creating is concerned, he's creating that content with a specific audience in mind. Like, it's really hard for everybody to get out of their bubbles because with technology, you're forced into a specific algorithm like you just are. So you start clicking on one thing, you get brought down this rabbit hole of more content that's like it. Gradually, you're brung through a more extreme and extreme and extreme rabbit hole where you're consuming all these videos. Videos and the people who are being fed those Don Jr. videos are not the people who are mocking him. We mock those little clips we see on Twitter and stuff, and we say this guy's a nut. But to a lot of people, I'm sure he's an absolute hero and he's the guy who's telling the truth. And I feel like part of the thing that he's doing is similar to what Navarro's doing, is similar to what Trump Jr.'s father is doing, which is let's muddy the water. You know, we basically have our own platform. Nobody trusts the mainstream media, and there are a lot of good reasons not to trust the mainstream media Absolutely. at this point. Nobody trusts the mainstream mainstream media. And so let's weaponize that, though, to our advantage and let's control the narrative ourselves. So if we are able to say to people that everything they're telling you is bullshit and look, they lied about this little detail here, this little detail here, then guess what? All the stuff they're saying about Donald Trump and January 6th, that also is a lie. And by the way, all these DOJ prosecutions of everybody, it's all based on a lie and it's all for political means. So they start doing like Navarro yesterday was going off. Just wait till Trump takes power again. We're going to go after we're going to go after, uh, you know, you name it, Joe Biden. We're going to go after Nancy Pelosi. We're going to go after Dr. Fauci because to them. Let me ask you that. So what are they going after Dr. Fauci for? I mean, you know, I understand they have they have all this crazy conspiracy nonsense that Fauci is in on some massive scam with the um, with the vaccination and so on. Do they not understand that there were people dying at a rate of like, you know, seven, eight, ten thousand under the Trump administration at the beginning? And now, you know, we're really it's cartel. We're not even in a pandemic stage anymore. We're in an endemic stage. But let me ask you this. Let me ask Jordy this. What, if any, impact do you think that the January 6th hearings will have on the public at large? Because I'm personally interested to see the case that they present. Do you think anyone will will change their mind based upon it? I mean, Republicans, Democrats, they're not changing their mind. They believe everybody's already guilty on that side and they're not going to change. But what about Republicans? Well, here's the thing. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, there's two primetime hearings 
where the entire world is going to be able to watch and 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 really understand the magnitude and, and the depths of which what occurred on January 6th and really at a granular level. And I have the utmost faith in the January 6th committee to really come through Rep Raskin, the entire team to really bring strong evidence and just show the public, hey, this isn't normal. This isn't okay. What happened that day was truly an attempt to overthrow our democracy. And so, yes, I think there are Republicans out there who will be able to watch this, maybe with some skepticism at first, but then once the facts are laid, and I, again, the utmost respect for Rep Raskin, once those details are laid out, I mean, you just can't argue with facts. Now, what I will say is the right-wing propaganda machine, they're going to try and counter-program these hearings. They're going to try and run some fake fraudulent hearings of their own to sort of manipulate and muddy the water of, of what the January 6th committee hearings are trying to accomplish. What I mean by that and counter-programming is that they're going to, what they're going to do is they're going to air their own sort of January 6th committee hearings, but but in a way where it's just complete BS, where it's complete bullshit in order to bring their crazy, you know, GQP Republicans to, to watch that instead of the real hearings. So what we have to continue to do is really press the gas and make sure that the American people at, at large are watching the real hearings, right? And you're not going to get that from the mainstream media. The mainstream media is going to be too too hesitant to really push back. You got to look at groups like Midas Touch to really direct and, 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 and steer the conversation in a way where people at large in this country can listen to the facts. Right. So you're talking about facts and you think that these hearings, because look, I'm a big Jamie Raskin fan. I think Jamie Raskin is fantastic. Um, do you think that there's really one American in this country, I don't care if it's a newborn, that hasn't seen the video of what took place at the Capitol steps in the Capitol and so on on January 6th with these Meshuganas, these morons, these maniacs walking through the hall, breaking items, smearing feces on the wall, stealing Nancy Pelosi's computer, feet on the desk inside the Senate chamber. Do you really need any more facts than that? Do you think that anybody's standing up and pounding a gavel and saying, um, let me now turn to exhibit 103. Can you put 103 up on the board, please? All right. 103 is a picture of a crazy ass looking guy with a fucking set of horns on top of his head wearing some sort of a uh, outfit that maybe you get from Michael, some are you, Michael, let me just interrupt shop, you. You're referring you know, to Donald way Trump up in. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about the crazy shaman, right? Um, Donald, I would just say, <laughs> I would, Donald, I would just turn and say some crazy guy walking around in diapers, right? But it's I'm, a metaphor. You were metaphorically referring yeah. to Donald. But honestly, look, there are people that you're not going to be able to reach. There, there. We always talk about there's this 30 percent of the country that just does not care that that would bend over backwards if Donald Trump said the sky was orange. They'd be like, yeah, the sky is orange. And, and you know what? Those people, those aren't reachable people. But there are, and I truly believe it in my heart of hearts, there are middle of the road Republicans that when the facts are laid out, they'll come around. And they'll but don't you see, people don't, but, but Jordy, don't you see the facts with your eyes and hear what was going on, right? Yourself? I do. Absolutely, I do. 
1000%. But I still think there's a contingency of people who, who want to and think that there are two parties in this country, right? A Republican party and a Democratic party. That's not what's happening anymore. There's a fascist party in the Republicans. And then there's the Democratic party who wants to just spouse pro-democracy values. And I really, truly believe that that will shine through during these I'll hearings. Add, well, let's hope. What, what I'll, are you I'll, say, say, right? I'll add this to that. I think, yes, we all saw it happen on January 6th. We have all seen those clips over and over and over again. I think part of the job of the January 6th committee here is to say that, hey, that event was not only a group of maniacs. It was not only a group of QAnon, shaman-wearing, mm-hmm. you know, you name it, nut jobs who were going into the Capitol. This was actually a coordinated effort in the highest levels of government. They need to make those ties from the Proud Boys and all those groups to the White House, to the John Eastman's, to the Giuliani's, to the Trump. They have to do that connective tissue because we as people who have been so heavily invested in in politics and political news, we know a lot of that information already so far. But to the average person, the average person is not as cued in as we are. They know that an event happened. They know that Trump was probably responsible, but I don't think they know how premeditated it was and how devious it really was inside the actual state houses themselves. And that's for the January 6th committee to deliver a compelling story that gets that across. And that's my point. My point is you don't actually need these hearings in order to hold the high, the, the folks that are at the highest level of government responsible, the Rudy Colludi Giuliani's, the Eric Trump's, the Lara Trump's, the Kramer's, right? You don't need to hold Mark Meadows. Right. You know, they already have thousands and thousands of his text messages that show that there was collaboration going right. on. There was burner phones that were purchased in order for Meadows to communicate with people, the Kramers on the outside. You have all of this. There's there's drawings, for example, of how to get around the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Now, I worked in the Capitol in 1987 and 88. Even when I worked there and I was there for like a year and a half, I used to get lost. I mean, these folks knew exactly, exactly where, where they were going. They knew exactly what hallways to go to, to get to Mike Pence, to get to Pelosi's you know, office. They knew exactly what they were doing. And somebody walked them through it the day before. And we don't need, as far as I'm concerned, the hearings. Now, I think the hearings are going to be great because it's going to make great television fodder. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a historical record. But I believe that the DOJ, as of right now, should be filing indictments against all of these folks. You're, and I agree with you, not the Oath Keepers, not the shaman, not the, the pissant right. fools that believe everything that Trump says, but hold the highest level because these are the people that we elected to, to protect us, right? To represent us, not to overthrow us. I would just say this. So if exhibit 103AB, to use your example, is another photo of the shaman, We don't really need that. We've seen that photo over and over again. But if exhibit 103A is a photo that we haven't seen of Trump before watching, applauding, encouraging the insurrection, if exhibit 104 are text messages that have yet to leak that provide that connective tissue that Brett says to the highest levels, if exhibit 105 are a number of the senior advisors who are not like the key people, but the people who aid those key people who have all given statements. If we have those messages and what they've said about their bosses, 
That's the kind of stuff that I think we're going to see on January 6th, which is going to be helpful. So I was being a little bit facetious when I said, is Exhibit 103 Trump with horns? But that's actually what I'm looking for at the January 6th, that new stuff. Yeah, and again, my feeling is you don't need to do public hearings on it. While I appreciate that they want to enlighten the populace, and it'll be helpful as far as I'm concerned for Democrats in the twenty in the midterm elections and 2024. Um, what they really need to do is just take the documentation, the evidence provided to Merrick Garland and the DOJ, yep. and let them start indicting people and so on. But talking about indictments, let's go back to Peter Navarro for a quick what a guy. second, because this jerk off, right? This jerk off faces right now, you know, two um, contempt counts. One, of course, is for his failure to produce the documents that were demanded by the committee, and the other, of course, for failing to show up for subpoenaed testimony before the House. One of the things that you have to acknowledge is that everybody that surrounds that's surrounded by Trump, they all believe that they're impervious or immune to the same rules that everybody else is. It's amazing that this like this beam of light that shines on them they're like, yeah, fuck it. I, yeah, take your subpoena and stuff it up your ass. Finally, finally, what do they have now? It was referred, right, and the to the Justice Department, and they went and they picked Peter Navarro up at the airport. For some reason, they claim he was a flight risk and whatever it might be. And now he's standing before a judge, and who knows what's going to happen. I think Peter Navarro is a fool, right, on so many levels. The fact of the matter is he's claiming that he is not able to cooperate with the investigation because former President Trump asserted executive privilege over issues in this matter. Now, the committee then count. I know we all shake our head and we hold our head. We're like, oh, come on, really, man? Uh, You know, it's just another Trump stall tactic. And I know the playbook, right? So the committee then counters and said, well, those arguments don't really fly and claim that there are topics that they want to discuss with him that are not governed by executive privilege, not to mention... This idiot wrote about it in his book, and he's been all over television doing a media tour. How stupid is this guy? Well, you don't get to say when you're asserting any type of privilege, hey, I'm just not going to show up. So even if you there is a privilege, which here, for the reasons you said, Michael, the privilege would be waived for a variety of reasons. One, the privilege wouldn't exist because he wasn't acting in the capacity of serving an executive while trying to lead an insurrection. Two, if there was a privilege to be had, he waived it by writing about it in a book. So the privilege is is ultimately waived. But you don't have the ability just to say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to show up. You have to, at the very least, show up, listen to the question that's being asked, and on a question-by-question basis, assert the privilege where applicable, whether it's the Fifth Amendment, right against self-incrimination, whether it's an executive privilege saying that this is protected by that relationship with the president, but it's the bare minimum task of just showing up. And he refused to even show up and to put himself into a proceeding. So his arguments are completely legally unsound and unjustified just from that standpoint. He would be better off and better served, but this shows you how chicken shit they are to just show up and plead the fifth and then leave or show up and assert executive privilege 
let them have to file motions, the government file motions challenging the executive privilege. And then what you see, Michael, is kind of what we see in California out of the Central District Southern Division, which is a process that John Eastman has gone through. But notice that John Eastman process with Judge Carter, because when you finally expose these really ridiculous arguments to a federal court, you look absolutely stupid the way John Eastman looks in California, and you end up kind of exposing yourself more. So a lot of people look and see, okay, that's John Eastman asserting executive privilege or attorney-client privilege. In that case, he's making these arguments to a court. What would the court say? The court said it made a finding, more likely than not, that you and Donald Trump engaged in criminal conduct on January 6th. So these people go, you know what? Just arrest me right now for contempt. I'd rather be arrested for contempt than all the crazy criminal shit that I really did. Yeah, it's so true. Now, you guys are really young, right? And my question is, do you feel like your generation is gearing up to win elections? I mean, I know how involved Midas Touch and the three of you have been in trying to create and help to create various movements to get people to the ballot box, especially in your generation? Or do you think that after so many years of liars, of cheaters, and the fact that there's no indictments yet that have really turned out of any significance, that they're going to come out and that they're going to actually vote? Because Washington right now can get nothing done. I mean, there's nothing that Washington can get done. So the theory that I hear from some younger folks well, if that's true, why, why should I waste my time and go out and vote? There are a million other things that I can do, right? Or is the Gen X, Y, and Z voting block really ready to go out there, kick some ass, and get the job done? Because the real question is, are there a lot of young Republicans out there? Are there a lot of young Democrats out there? Give me some info on what you guys know, what you're feeling, what you're hearing and what you're seeing. I, I think there is. I think right now, though, there is a sort of war, so to speak, for the hearts and minds of these generations. And that's being played out on social media in unique ways and using unique techniques. And I think when I see the videos of Gen Z, for example, protesting the don't say gay bill in Florida, you know, that gives me hope. When I see them protesting the Roe v. Wade decision, that gives me hope. When people are fired up and they get out there, I do think we've seen a trend where they are voting in, in bigger numbers than they have in the past. And so that gives me hope. Now, I don't think they're going to be our, our savior, per se, in these elections or future elections, because I just think that is how historically it's been. The youth, you know, never make it out in the same uh, kind of numbers as older voters. But I think we have been engaging them in unique ways. I think they have have met the moment in a way that other generations have not. And I think they're spreading their message in very unique ways. When you go on a, an app like TikTok, for example, and you see some of these mm. voices on there and you see the passion of, of these groups, you see that that's nothing like we've ever seen out of previous generations. And so I think. So, Brett, why would but why would you say that? Why would you say that they're not going to be the savior? I'm actually counting on Gen X, Y and Z to be our savior. And, you know, like Jordy, the youngest of, of all of you, I, I'm looking to you guys to be the savior. Let me just tell you why. At my age right now, I'm not speaking for every guy who's 55 and older. You generally don't 
you, you don't have ki- you, you're not having kids at my age. I already have my children, right? And so on. So Roe v. Wade doesn't really apply. Not only does it not apply for that reason, but if you have if you have some money to, you will always be able to either go to a state or a country, right, where you can have the um, the procedure done. It's your generation that's going to have to deal with Roe v. Wade. It's your generation that's going to have to deal with the economy to pay back the God knows how many trillions of dollars. I don't Mm. even think we actually really know how many (laughs) trillions of dollars we're in debt because the number is just so huge. Is it 30? Right. I don't know. Now they want to put more money. I, I truly don't even know the exact number. It's your generation that's going to have to start paying this shit back. It's like 52 cents of or 53 cents of every dollar earned is going to pay interest on our debt. That's not sustainable right. to a country that wants to grow and expand. Like here in New York, our roadways, you want to drive out to the Hamptons? Good luck not having your tires pop. The roads are fucked up. There's no money here. No, I'm dead serious. It's your generation that's going to have to pick up for all the things that my generation did wrong. And so... I'm praying to God that X, Y, and Z are the ones that step up, that turn around and say, yeah, what's, what's your fucking problem with the don't say gay law, right? What's exactly. your problem with saying gay? Go fuck yourself. Have a nice day. That's not who we are, right? You old, you old crow. Have a nice day. Go off somewhere. Go play your golf and piss off. I, I'm, I really mean it because no, you I be listen right. to like my kids talking about it and they're right. furious about what our generation, my generation is leaving over to them. It's no joke. No, absolutely. And, and, and I, we, you know, we talk about this on the podcast all the time. Look, I want to have a big family. Like that's one of my biggest goals. I want to have like five, five kids. I want to raise them in a country that, that is acceptable to everyone. Well, and, let me just, let me stop you one second, Jordy, because I can tell you Ben and Brett are turning around. Five and they're gonna, kids? When, when you're fast asleep, they're going to give you a vasectomy. Please, all right. Please. Because <laughs> you, no, my friend no. should not procreate. I'm terribly sorry. You no, should not oh, procreate. No. But, but, yeah. but, 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 but on a very serious <laughs> note, I think it is so crucial to reach Gen Z, to reach millennials, to reach the younger generation, very specifically. <laughs> Ben's laughing right now about my five kids comment, but I'm serious. I want a big family and I want them to grow up in a world where they don't have to worry about going to school and getting shot, where if they or get climate. sick and they get their tonsils climate out. Climate change. And climate change, all, all of it. But this is why we made a concerted effort here at Midas Touch to show up on every single social platform possible. We're on TikTok, right? We're talking to that youth audience. We're on Facebook. We're talking to a little bit of an older audience. We're on YouTube. You know, we're talking to a sort of a smorgasbord audience, Twitter, more politically focused minded folks, and so on and so forth. I think it's very important that this new media age that we're in really starts to push back on old school media because new media be it social platforms, is the way you're really going to break through to this new generation of voters to let them to really understand that, hey, the people who have come before us, yes, they've done a lot of good, but they've also done a tremendous amount of bad. And the only way we could fix that is if we work together. And if you guys, the younger generation, understand how we can organize, vote, and figure out the issues that need to be solved. Because if we don't do that with that younger generation, and I do have faith in them, well, then the country's lost. And I refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that the younger generation does not 
want to leave this country better than well, when here, they came Here's what I want it. to add, because what, what I was getting at earlier is that there is a battle for the hearts and minds of this, this generation. And I think this is somewhere where people on the Democratic side, I think big money donors, I think people in the party infrastructure have totally let their guard down. And they've allowed people like the Charlie Kirks, like Ben Shapiro, like all these people to develop these massive platforms. And we often laugh at them, right? We, we look at Twitter, we see, oh, they're having another CPAC event. Oh, they're having another Charlie Kirk event and there's fireworks and Kyle Rittenhouse came out. How fucked up? How fucked up can you be? But these are events where like kids are getting brainwashed. You know, kids are being pulled into this right wing fascist fold because there's a lure to it. That's why they play this masculine card and masculine. This is what being a man is. You know, they they try to get people in with that. And so I think that's why I get a little concerned about that side of the youth, because I think that is a very intoxicating thing for many young people who are looking for a community to be part of. And I think we need to make sure that we are ready and that we are building an infrastructure to compete with that and to say, listen, you have a place at the table here and it's a place that is involves inclusion. It's a place that says we don't want the government to tell us what we could say in school. We don't want to be shot up in our schools. That's the table that we're at. And we got to make the case as to why you should be sitting at our table and not the fascist table with Charlie Kirk throwing fireworks up and having killers come mm-hmm. to his fucking events and stuff like that. You know, that's that's kind of what's happening right now. Right. We don't want government in our bedroom. It's plain and simple. And, you know, I said this on my podcast, as on other people's podcasts on radio the other day. I understand people's decision right to life. I understand mm-hmm. it. That's your religious conviction. And I respect it. I do. Mm-hmm. I truly respect it. But that's not my opinion. And so while I respect your opinion, at least have the decency to respect mine. So you want to have five kids? Knock yourself out. You want to have 15 kids? Knock yourself out. None of my business. But if I'm not ready for a child and I don't want that child for whatever the reason might be, and it's within the period of time which is permissible by law, Leave me alone. You be you and let me be me. But that's mm-hmm. not what they want. This They want to turn the United States into Gilead. They want to be the controlling power with someone like a Donald Trump at the helm as your autocrat, dictator, monarch, supreme leader. And you know what? Again, that's the where we need the Gen X, Y, and Z to step up and say, yeah, bullshit. Not on my watch, my friend. It's exactly that. It's exactly the Republican Party is the party of government overreach. Yeah, so true. So let me ask let me ask Ben this question then. In the last few months, Democrats have finally been gifted two big platforms to run on. What we're talking about? Abortion rights and gun safety. Now, the Democrats needed a message, but we're not good. You know, we're just not good uh, with these short and sweet sound bites because that's really what Trump is. He's a bumper sticker president. Right. You know, who's going to build the wall? Right. Mexico. Right. Who's going to pay for it? Mexico. Right. That's that's who that's who Trump is. How do we get through to the average person just living their life? How do we get through to them? And what do you think that the message should be? Because, again, as Democrats and I say this and I don't want to be a hater of Jamie Harrison, the head of the DNC, but he's got no ability to create message. And you're right. When it comes to Republicans and CPAC, how many times have the three of us, the four of us, discussed doing something like a yep. DPAC, 
a democracy political action. Mm -hmm. And let's bring in the Jamie Raskins, the um, Eric Swalwells, the, you know, Cory Bookers. Bring them all in. Let's find a location and let's create some noise. Let's create some energy so that people are excited to get to the voting booth, right? Not the ones, of course, that are rigged by the Venezuelans or by Jewish space lasers, but I'm talking about, you know, the ones that actually record your vote for people who care about America, who care about democracy, and who care about your future. We talk about some of these important themes. We talk about freedom. You know, we talk about our love for America. Um, we talk about democracy, but how frequently do you actually hear Democrats campaigning on those things? We've allowed this idea of freedom to be co-opted. And all of these issues, you talk, to, you talk about our freedom issues. Republicans use freedom to say freedom means I should have my gun. Wrong. Freedom means I should be free from you killing me. Freedom means that I should be able to send my kid to schools and my school, my children can go to school, come back home, and I don't have to worry about them being shot up in a mass shooting. That's what actual freedom is. You know, when it comes to freedom, when we're talking about a woman's right to choose, it's free from these shithead men governors controlling your uterus. Yep. These men, these despicable individuals who have these horrible records that they're the ones who are making the decisions that you and your doctor should be making, the, the, these people. And it's not being conveyed in very simple terms. Like I just said, you know, we did this video called GOP Handmaid's Tale, and the video basically shows <laughs> a mother and the daughter crossing the border, being pulled over by state police, and the woman who's going to, a young, young woman who's going to get the abortion is getting arrested by the police. And at first, all of the you know, Democrats said, you, that, that's never going to happen. Stop trying to even scare people with that. That was Democrats saying we shouldn't put that ad out. So and much then when we put, And then when we put the ad out, and it was a massive hit. I mean, we put the ad out in the 2020. We repackaged it right after the draft decision overturning Roe v. Wade um, was released. And it got about four to four and a half million views in a very short period of time online and massive support. But then we try to say to Democratic donors, hey, look, this has a track record. Like, we've proven this is successful. Can you contribute, not to us so that we could make money, can you contribute so this video gets on national TV everywhere? And do you know, Michael, how difficult it is to get any contributions around a video that has a proven track record of success, proven persuasiveness? You can't find anyone who supports the issue to really get the video. So we're obviously we self-fund with small dollar donors. That's one of the other things we go and tell the big dollar donors. We have hundreds of thousands of small dollar donors, hundreds of thousands of small donors who have contributed to Midas Touch. Doesn't that show also that doesn't exist anywhere that maybe you as a big donor want to join this massive grassroots movement? Let's get the messaging out. And it's like pulling teeth. You have a conversation mm -hmm. with big Democratic donors and they're like, 
well, why isn't a man in that video? Is it, shouldn't the dad be in the car as well? It's like we worked on this video with a woman. Oh, you, Michael, geez. you get that. Everybody's got something and, and, and to say. And that's the thing. Everyone has something to say. We worked with, you know, an incredible, you know, a female producer who produced the video, you know, and so it's done through the lens of a woman's perspective. We wanted to take ourselves. We didn't want to impose, you know, what it's like to have to go through that. But that's the thing. And it goes to this James Carville quote I heard on a podcast. You go to Democrat strategist. It's let's have a conference call, another conference call, another conference call. <laughs> and he's like, let's just get something done. Meanwhile, you got the yeah, Republicans yeah. who are just pumping money into, you know, this content. Boom, 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 boom. Billions of dollars go into the Kirks. But that right there, Michael, <laughs> is the problem and the answer to your question one. You know, what's really going to be crazy is when you're going to ultimately see on like Bravo, you're going to see something like dog the, um, you know, the uterus hunter. Right. And, you know, he's going to be running around the country collecting bounties on people who are, you know, having abortions and then. Jeez. And then, right, um, handcuffing and locking up and, you know, Goodness. bring him in, giving him a cigarette, tell him, don't worry, you know, let's all pray together. You made a mistake. And so that's how crazy that this is really getting. And I know it sounds we can make fun of it and so on, but there's nothing to make fun of it when you have a Supreme Court that is so lopsided one way with that ideology that they're willing to dictate from the bench what a woman can do uh, with her reproductive rights. But let me then, you know, move on since we're talking about, you know, this sort of craziness, because you guys have been supporters of President Biden, right? And his speech on gun safety, in my opinion, was really one of his best. It was really very, really very, very um, emotional and, and touching. How do you guys think that he's doing? And more importantly, why are his numbers so low? Do you think that young people and progressives will get behind his policies and support him if the you know if he runs again in 2024? And again, and I'm going to be very bold here and say it: I truly hope that he doesn't, because right now, you know, do you think that there's more that he could be doing, considering the thin margin in Congress that he has to work with? Yeah, no, I, I personally, I think President Biden, I think he's crushing it. I think he's doing a really good job. I think the economy is doing great on a macro level. I think he is speaking powerfully on guns, I think. But I think he's confronting the realities of our politics. And I think too few people really understand the realities of our politics at the end of the day. And in fact, maybe even want him to become a Trump like figure, which is something that I am against. I think they want him to say, oh, well, you can't get mansion and cinema behind this bill. Well, you better start threatening mansion and cinema. You better start saying, hey, Manchin, I'm going to start looking into that daughter of yours and that EpiPen deal. Or if you don't vote the way that I want, like, I feel like there is a contingency of people who genuinely want him to be fighting fire with fire like that. And to me, I don't want to see a president of the United States behaving like that. I think of all the problems that President Biden actually has control over, I think he's knocked out of the park, whether it was getting people stimulus, the infrastructure deal, getting us back into the Paris Climate Accord, all the other executive voters he was able to sign. He's able to do that. The macro global issues that are out of his control are far more difficult. However, those are the issues that a lot of people may be voting on and likely will vote on. And of course, I'm talking about inflation, gas prices, things like that. You know, when people 
people go to the grocery store and it costs them an arm and a leg to get there. Then they look at the food aisle and the milk's $2 more than they paid last week or whatever it is. You know, those are the things that I think are sticking with people, but those are also the things that are being experienced all over the world. Yes, except the problem is that Republicans, again, their messaging is so much better and it just, it's repeated ad nauseum again and again and again by so many different outlets and, and they are yelling louder than the Democrats. Nobody's talking about how well Biden did with the pandemic, with getting shots into the arms. They're worried about Enfamil and Similac. In fact, that, you know, there's a shortage of this. And well, how the hell could something like that happen, Joe Biden? Right. This is under your watch. And I agree. I agree. There should there should not have been a shortage of it. But okay, it's resolvable. Apologies to those mothers that, you know, were unable to get you know, formula. I get it. It's incredibly stressful. I really do get it. But at the same time, what what, what are we talking about here, right? Um, he has to open up trade with Europe in order to get it. And they should have done it. He's wrong about it. But is that enough to knock his numbers down to the point where he's like the least popular president at this time? I mean, just I think he's one point lower than Donald Trump. The guy who did absolutely nothing other than talk about what he was going to do and not accomplish anything. Could you imagine if Trump was president during this baby formula shortage? He would have blamed the babies. Like that's legitimately like that's what he would no, have he done. Wouldn't. He would have whipped out his nipple and fed the whole country. What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Don't you know he's got he's got super nipples. But, I can but, do anything. Quite, but, I can feed I the whole there's... country. Quite frankly, quite, I have enough milk to feed the whole world. <laughs> Huh? But quite honestly, the, the way Biden, President Biden has handled the, this baby formula shortage is nothing short of uh, short of remarkable. I mean, he what did he invoke the Defense Protection Act in order for us to fly planes overseas to literally bring back hundreds of thousands, millions of, of formula back into this country? Like that's what that's why we elect leaders. You know what I mean? That's the reason we elect the Bidens of the world, because problems are going to arise. But you want problem solvers to be there when those problems happen in order to help give a real solution. If Trump's, if a Trump's in office, if a DeSantis is in office, if that ends up being the case again, I mean, I just don't trust that if a real problem comes to America, that they're willing to put politics aside, put, put left, right aside and figure out a solution that's best for the country. Jordy, why don't we just give them Clorox? They're, not only will they get fed, but then they won't get COVID. <laughs> Right. You're not thinking. Quite frankly, you're dumb. Right. I mean, that's the sort of stupid shit. that. You get. But look, we cannot gloss over the fact that there should not have been a shortage. I mean, there just should not have been somebody screwed up. And as far as I'm concerned, what Biden should do, which he has done, is take responsibility for it. But the person who is ultimately responsible to make sure that things like this don't happen. Right. Like Abbott Labs was shut down in one area and they they didn't get the okay in order to reopen. You had to realize there was going to be a shortage. Maybe that person's not up for the, you know, for the job. And again, this is not the Trump administration where you take somebody who is your former bodyguard or your former caddy and you turn him into a chief of staff. I mean, this is supposed to be, look, Trump's administration was a Mickey Mouse, you know, administration. This is supposed to be a real one. And these types of mistakes are not acceptable by our leaders. That's just my opinion. And- Again, and again, when you have Republicans who are shouting from the mountaintops about how inept 
Joe Biden is. He's old. He's senile. He doesn't see straight. He's not really running the country. It's being run by either Kamala Harris or by Barack Obama. I mean, you hear this crazy, this crazy talk. And yet the Republicans, especially the Trump supporters, the Trumplicans, they believe all of this. And it's really, to be honest with you, it's a, it's a real problem. But let me Hold then on, let, me, let, me, let me go back this. to the baby shortage thing, because I just want to say I, I think it's unfair to put it on Biden. You know, could, could they have maybe pre- tried to predict it quicker once they knew the, the plant had to be shut down? Sure. But the fact is, is that 90 percent of the baby formula in this country is monopolized by three brands. And that's really a product probably of our politics, of political choices that have been made in the past. There was a contamination in one of the facilities that produced the majority of the formula. It had to be shut down. Two babies died. So I think that was the right decision to shut down that place before more infants died there. Right. So at that point, you could say at this point, well, they should have started flying in the formula from other places and whatnot. However, Donald Trump and his renegotiated NAFTA agreement made it so that we were mm-hmm. not allowed to import any baby formula from Canada. So that became a, 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 a an issue right there. Yes, but Biden could have easily over- overturned that with one swift, um, you know, with one swift move of the pen. But let me just sure. move on for a quick second because it, we're not going to, we're not supposed to agree sure. on everything, and that's something that I tell everybody. I don't want you to agree with me 100%. on everything that I say. Some of the stuff that I say you may agree with, and mo- much of the stuff that you may not agree with. But that's the whole point. You know, if everybody was exactly the same, we would all be, you know. Boy, boy, would this country be boring? That's certainly for sure. And you, you have a have famous quote, Cohen. You have a famous quote. It's like if you agree with me ten out of ten times, you need well, help. Well, that right? was yeah, that was um, Ed Koch who said, "If you agree with me six out of twelve times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me twelve out of twelve times, you should see a psychiatrist." And he's one hundred percent right. But look, the Republican Party is changing really fast, and not just in the red states. Because it looks like there are far right and QAnon candidates winning their primaries. I mean, we see it every single day. How do you think that they're going to stand up against the Democrats in the fall? Because I wonder, is the Republican Party so fucking twisted now that they'll support anti-conservative conservatives and crazies all in the same all in the same party? You know, it's a rare opportunity, Michael, that Democrats mm-hmm. need to be capitalizing. It's why our messaging is exposing exactly what you said, because the typical thing that would normally happen in the general election is that you run to the right if you are a Republican and then you try to come back to the center after the primaries. But these individuals have run so far to the right that there really is no ability to get back anywhere near the center based on their position. And because they're cult members now, if they defy anything that Trump says or if they defy the overall cult of the right wing fascism, they will be kicked out of the cult immediately. So what's going to be fascinating is as we look at a debate, you know, in Georgia between, you know, Warnock and Herschel Walker, (laughs) for example, that's one example. What does that debate even look like where and Jordy predicts Herschel Walker is just simply not going to show up for the debate, which is a, a, a likely possibility and something that happens in fascist regimes where they go, we're not even going to debate anymore because, you know, we know we're, we're going to control the way voting takes place and you're going to vote for us. But that's the thing. And. What Democrats also buy into is this narrative, well, because Biden's the president and because when the one party holds the president, the other party always loses. And that kind of defeatist attitude 
to me is really kind of problematic and I'm okay to have concern, but you have to then do something and doing something doesn't just mean like kind of talking about it and whining about it. There are Democrats who have the ability to actually take tangible steps to get voters out and to register voters and to activate voters and to do things about it, yet they just want to complain and whine about it. The problem with Democrats, and we were talking about this yesterday, is brothers like, do you just want to be a resistance? Is your whole thing like we resist? Or do you want to win? Do you want to set the narrative and set the tone and actually change the country affirmatively? And that's where we need to be. And there's a real opportunity to win these midterms in 2022. Could and, you imagine they're like sitting losers. at the debate and they turn around and they say to Herschel Walker, well, how are we gonna, what are we going to do in order to, to move the economy? How are we going to get it right to the, you know, to the end zone? Well... I think we'll start with a flea flicker, then I'll do a button hook and go down the left side. Uh, you'll just throw it there, and we're just going to take it over the over the goal line. Hurrah! Right? He's like, <laughs> that Huzzah! was way too yeah, coherent. I mean, yeah, Michael, if he said that <laughs> sentence, <laughs> yeah. I would be impressed. Michael, he's not going to and it's then, so crazy. Look, he is what he is. He is a amazing. He was an amazing, amazing athlete, great ball player and everything. Do I think right. that he's the right man in order to lead us? We have to stop with this bullshit, including like Dr. Oz, a fucking joke and a half. This yes. is a guy who double talks himself day in and day out. If you sit and you watch his show, I get it. It's the show, right? Did anybody take a look at the nonsense and stupidity of The Apprentice and, and you know, and Donald with all of his failed businesses? Obviously not. So is this a popularity contest going back to fifth grade, you know, high, uh, fifth grade grade school where I want to be the president and you turn around and you say to class, if I'm made president, right, every Friday there's going to be no homework and, <laughs> and, and uh, pizza will be offered in the cafeteria every day, right? Huzzah! <laughs> I mean, at some point in time, this is not a popularity contest. We really do need people that have a clue what they're doing because... Trump in and of himself, the, the administration of a bunch of bungling bozos, right? We see the repercussions of what happens when you have people who have no clue what it is that they're doing. But I do want to ask you guys this because this is an important one. White supremacy now is a scourge that is not going away. And in fact, we see it's growing every single day. And it's not just online anymore. They're pushing the neo-Nazi racist replacement theory bullshit right out in the open. I mean, there's no hiding on this shit anymore. I mean, for example, Tucker Carlson is seriously a radical. I mean, when did it become cool to be that kind of an asshole again? I mean, what's in it, what's in it for them that I'm missing? Because I'm definitely missing something here. Money. <laughs> money, money and power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if Tucker Carlson, I hate to say this, if Tucker Carlson ran for president, I think he'd, I think he'd maybe even destroyed DeSantis. Like Tucker Carlson has such an influence over this right wing of the party because people view him as this truth teller because oh, no one else is willing to say the things that Tucker's saying. So it must be the truth. No, Tucker's just an asshole who knows that he's lying, who's admitted in numerous interviews that he lies to his audience, but continues to do it because he knows what's going to set him off. And he's actually an incredibly bright guy who, who just knows how to manipulate. 
manipulate people. And I think that once again, those are intoxicating things, especially at a time when people are suffering, right? I mean, think about throughout history, think about the 1930s, whenever anybody is suffering, whenever there is high inflation, whenever there is issues about people being able to find jobs and, and the economy is doing great, but people are still feel like they're struggling in many ways. And the housing market's too expensive for them to buy a house. And they're not able to have 16 kids like Jordy wants to have 16 kids. And so they start figuring out, okay, well, it can't be me. I'm me. I'm me. Who is to blame here? Oh, it's the immigrants. It's it's the LGBTQ community. That's who it is. And then they start putting it off. And it's this whole notion of the white replacement theory that, by the way, is a core ideology of the Republican Party. When you think about it, basically all their policies go back to this idea of white replacement theory. And so they just keep pushing this because it's frankly a scapegoat as dictators and despots have used in the past in order to rile people up, direct their anger from the real issues at hand. And they're able to, in this climate, become celebrities. They're able to profit off of it in a big way and they're able to gain power and influence. The wildest thing is the the, the, the biggest con that the devil ever- Ben, po- was, about to, ben was about to call hey, me Michael, brilliant, so, I think. So well, that's okay, uh, we, we could save that for later. Uh, <laughs> the biggest yeah, yeah. con the devil Jordy you better hope that some of those 15 kids has your brother's brains that's for sure <laughs> let's just be clear let's just be clear if there was if there I've was never a heard that, that should before, have more Michael, than five like, kids it the should first be time me I ever heard Jordy my- that's just that's just period end of story but the biggest con that the devil ever pulled <laughs> was tricking middle America that a guy named Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson is a voice of the people I mean the fact that the viewers just cannot see through that this is the heir to the Swanson family fortune. It's unbelievable how middle America views this guy as their be all savior, their, their, their savior. It is absolutely. It's like it's like Trump. Like they know it's exactly like Trump. I was going to say the same thing. How how could you possibly think that you could understand a golden toilet, as Donald I mean. Trump? This <laughs> exactly right. I mean, you have you have as much in common with Donald Trump as you do with a with a um, Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, it's it, there's no there's no similarity between he doesn't care for anyone or anything. This is, as you said, with Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity said the same thing, by the way. He goes, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a um, I'm, I'm a talk show. I'm a talk so show. So they host. argue in court all the time. Right. Uh, so therefore, I can say whatever I want and I can do whatever I want. But let me ask you this then, because Trump endorsed candidates have been actually doing pretty well. And then several big losses in Georgia, right? Purdue in particular, and then a near miss in um, Pennsylvania with Dr. Mehmet Oz. What a joke. You know, that by the way, by the way, so 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 so, so I don't know if he's I don't I, I don't know if he's doing that hot with his endorsements. I mean, you look you well, look at Georgia. Ask you that. Do you think that Donald could be considered or should be considered as a kingmaker? No, not anymore. I think his grasp on the Republic. I think Republican candidates and, and the Republican Party now use Donald Trump. I think Trump used to use them. Now they use him. You look no further than Pennsylvania, right? Okay, so Mastriano won the governorship nod for the Republican Party there. But this Oz versus uh, McCormick, that was the most miscalculated endorsement by Donald Trump when he endorsed Dr. Oz for Senate over McCormick. Now, I live in Pennsylvania. I know personally that McCormick is a PA guy. It was a no brainer for Trump to endorse McCormick. And in fact, you know, I don't want to say this. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not mistaken, so doesn't ma- Dr. Oz live in Jersey? 
Yes, he lives in Jersey. Yeah. And that's why he got actually a lot of that Philly vote, in my opinion, because there's a lot of crossover between that Philly, Jersey, you know, intersect there. And if you look at the map, that's where Oz got the majority of his vote. But when you look at McCormick, I mean, McCormick is really a Pennsylvania guy. And I wouldn't say this publicly. So please don't don't tell any of your audience I'm saying this. I want Oz to win so badly because if Oz gets the nomination, it's a layup for Fetterman. It's a layup for Fetterman because people here in Pennsylvania, they like their own. They love their own. Fetterman is a guy that that's really done the crunches, as I like to say, when he was mayor of Braddock, which is not a great town here. Um, no homicides for the five years he was mayor there. People view Fetterman, John Fetterman, as a PA guy. People view Oz as a New Jersey guy. And that means something down here. Yeah. Well, then let me ask you this again, because we go back to this whole Gen XYZ. And I'm fascinated by this whole thing. Right. Who are the progressive heroes of tomorrow? Right. The next generation of leaders in your Gen X, Y and Z that we should be looking out for, because this is something that Republicans have been doing now for a while. They've been you know, they've been creating the next stock of people. Now, mind you, most of the people that they are creating are have already been there and they're old, which is great. So I'm trying to see a younger, more energetic Democratic Party. Like I think, and I interviewed him on Maya Culpa, David Hogg. I think the kid is extremely mm-hmm. impressive. I like him a lot. I like what he's doing. You know, maybe it's one of you guys. Of course, you'll be too busy with your 15 kids, but maybe it'll be Ben <laughs> or Brett, Right. Do any of you guys have any political ambition? No, um, but I guess people with political ambitions say that, so you don't (laughs) know. Um, The people who I would say right now who I look up to as standard bearers, Pete Buttigieg, um, Stacey Abrams, you know, both of them, I'd like to see as as kind of major, major, major leaders in the party um, out here in California. I think Eric Swalwell Big is someone fan. who speaks truth to power. Um, and, you know, and so I, I can name a name a few others, you know, the platform that we have at Midas Touch, though, I like it in that it allows us to be involved in politics. But I feel like if I was just a member of Congress or a member of Senate, I don't think I'd actually be able to have the same impact and do the same types of things I'd be able to do with the platform that we've created at Midas Touch and the media company that we have and the ability for us to elevate people across the board. But one of the things that we're focused on at Midas Touch, which I don't think a lot of or there's any other media reflective of a pro-democracy or progressive side that does, we try to elevate different types of individuals um, who uh, may not seem like they're Democrats or where their voice can't always kind of be heard and promote their content that's out there. And so, you know, you find someone like a guy out in Texas named Texas Paul, who speaks truth to power and he looks like he'd be a Republican, but you hear Texas Paul talking about, you know, all of, all of these issues. Um, We got students out in UCLA and and in other colleges who are out there talking about these issues. So it's important that we elevate these, uh, you know, these, these leaders. And that's something that, that we are focused on doing. Um, But as Brett mentioned earlier, the right wing is spending not millions, 
but hundreds of millions of dollars to billions every year trying to recruit youth and trying to bring them in with cult-like tactics to change their hearts and minds because the Republicans realize that they're not actual natural allies. So they try to instill fear and divide the youth right now. And those efforts are insidious and going on every single day. And I would encourage all listeners that have the ability to support shows like Mea Culpa, to support media efforts like those we're doing at Midas Touch, like we need, you know, or start your own. Um, We need you in the fight because um, right now it's an asymmetrical fight with groups like ours with very little funding going against $100 million organizations. And let me just say this, because this is something that I learned while involved with Donald at um, the campaign level, not being part of the campaign, but at the campaign level. One of the things that we were successful in doing is creating a platform big enough that the money didn't really matter. Because with social media today, your videos, and I understand it costs money to make those videos, but in all fairness, it doesn't really cost you anything to put it out. That's, and I'm not talking about, again, the production of it. I'm talking about the distribution of it. It's not that you're going to be putting it on MSNBC. Totally. Yes. And what my hope is with Maya Culpa, with Midas Touch, with Lincoln Project, et cetera, right? What my hope, democracy now, what my hope is, is that we could create a synergy amongst ourselves, create a movement. And it's something I talk about on Maya Culpa all the time. I don't want Mea Culpa to be just a podcast. I want it to be a movement that when we turn around and say, we're going to Washington, D.C. Why? Because, well, we have these three new judges, for example. Truth be told, two of them shouldn't even be on the, on the Supreme Court at all that are now going to change significant law, Roe v. Wade, of year, 50 year, you know, 50-year law that's been out there changing women's beliefs in their reproductive rights and so on and, and on and on and on. We need to do something. We need to make some changes. And if we're a big enough voting block, if we command enough people in order to change the minds of these politicians who care about only one thing, you know, they say, you know what the greatest and the worst day is for a politician, right? It's the day before he wins and then the day after, because the first, the day before is when he knows exactly how much money he's raised. And the day after it starts all over again. And that's all that they care about. It's the money, the power, the, the influence that they have. And that's not, that's not a way that our country is going to advance. It's not the way we're going to grow. It's not the way we're going to remain as a democracy. And unfortunately, too many young people do not understand just how serious the loss of democracy can and will be if, in fact, we don't put an end to these lunatics. You know, you know um, let me just get some final thoughts from each of you. Uh, as, of course, as I always tell you, the hour goes by quickly, whether on my nice. podcast or on yours. Well, it's just such an honor to, you know, be working with you towards that effort, Michael, because 
I think yes, we Brett, sh- I agree with you. It is an honor. Yeah. <laughs> well, we share we we share the same mindset there, and that it's important that we have an activated base of people and a strong pro-democracy media. And you're right. At the end of the day, we don't need the billionaires out there. We we don't. Would they be helpful? Yes, of course they would be helpful. But that's why, like with Midas Touch in the beginning, we didn't wait around for something to happen. We didn't wait around for anyone to give us money. We didn't test group everything we did for three weeks before we put something out. We just said, we are going to make things the thing, the way that we want to make it. We are going to put it out the way that we want to make it. And in fact, uh, one of our concepts in the very beginning of it all was we were watching TV during the pandemic and we were like, everybody is recording their shows via Zoom. They're not in big fancy studios. They're not spending billions of dollars to make this happen. In fact, right now, the level field is as level as the playing field is as level as it's ever been. So let's exploit that and take advantage of that because we can compete with the biggest of the bigs, with the biggest, the deepest pockets. We could do that. And so what I want to do also is I hope your words ring true to the people listening to this podcast as they as they did with us early on, those that sort of concept in that if you have a skill, if you could do anything out there, just go do it. You know, don't make excuses for why the shit's not getting done. You know, start or reach out to, or reach out to or, me, reach yeah. out to the mind. Reach out touch. to us, tweet at us. Reach out. We're happy to help to get the things moving. And guys, again, let me let me thank you for joining me as you know, as always. And we have a lot to do, and time is running out. You know, we don't we only have a couple of months before November, and November is gonna be a real um, it's going to be a real referendum on, uh, you know, on Trump and, you know, Trumpism. We got to make it a choice, Michael. We got to make it a choice between democracy and fascism um, and, and not a referendum on Biden, by the way. It's got to be a choice between here's what you get. You get Agreed. these people who are fighting for you, who look at the House, who are at least trying to pass bills to lower the price of infl- to, uh, the lower the price of insulin to get at high gas prices. They are trying to codify Roe v. Wade. And then you have a party who's blocking all that shit and who literally wants to punish businesses yeah. for speaking out, who wants to punish you for expressing your freedom. And we didn't make that choice clear to the American people as we headed to November. And Mike, before before we go, I just want to say this was incredible because I learned that Jordy's goal in life is to have five children, number one. <laughs> Yeah. Well, good. As long as as long as I brought the family back together, I've, I've yeah. never I've never learned that about Jordy. <laughs> never heard never heard that before. Um, yeah. And then number two, I would tell <laughs> number two everyone listening to the Maya Culpa podcast, go check out the Midas Touch podcast with me and my brothers. Where if you like the content here, check it out. It's the Midas Touch podcast, and that's M E I D A S. Agreed. Ben, Brett, Jordy. Thank you guys so much. And I will be seeing all three of you very soon. Uh, We love you, Michael. Grateful for you, Mike. Be good, pal. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And now for today's mea culpa. Not enough has been said about last weekend's incredible March for Our Lives. The brainchild of gun safety activist and Parkland survivor David Hogg. Literally thousands of angry and frustrated Americans joined rallies and marches all across the United States to advocate for gun reform in the wake of the back-to-back mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas and Buffalo, New York. And it wasn't just the younger generations marching, it was everybody. But as one Gen Z protester said at the Los Angeles rally, and I quote, We have grown up in a world where we all jump when the balloon pops. It's a world where we have to scan every single exit and the movements of our classmates at school. 
We don't live like this because we like it. We live like this because every single day, the people in power make the conscious decision to put the NRA's money over our lives. Well, this week perhaps, there's been some movement on the issue that David Hogg and his fellow protesters can take partial credit for and then be proud of because without their voices, Republicans might not have moved to come to the table for the very first time in decades to create a bipartisan package of safe gun laws. I mean, even Mitch McConnell came out of his shell to voice his support for the bill. And while the ink hasn't dried on the document and the details are still being hammered out, I hope to God kids can start breathing a little easier where the biggest danger in school are mean girls and attitude and dumb fucking jocks. Not madmen with guns. Now things feel like they're finally happening on the hill. It took a whole lot of people dying and marching and pleading for some fucking sanity and now maybe some real progress will be made. I'm not saying we should forget to hold Republicans responsible for all that's gone wrong before the deal and all that's left to be done. Democratic candidates simply can't stop talking about guns and gun violence through the entirety of this next election cycle. Because a little doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go. And it looks like even in this polarized moment, most Americans agree on these things. 89% of us support universal background checks on all gun sales. That's nine in 10 people. 79% want to see the age limit to buy a gun raised to 21. And 66% want to ban assault style weapons outright. On these things, we agree more than we disagree. And I'll take it because Americans need a win about now. David Hogg and Senator Chris Murphy, an activist both young and old, who fought like hell for our safety, appealed to our better angels, and believed in a hopeless cause, needed a win. And today we got it. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth. <laughs>